My name is Joe Jensen, Senior Vice President of Content Engagement of Barna Group, and you're listening to the Local Youth Worker Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker. As you just heard from the outset, we will have Joe Jensen joining us in just a little bit. Uh, Linda Oliver will also be uh, serving as the co-host today, so we'll get to that conversation in just a bit. Um, Just a reminder that uh, next week we will have Dr. Nancy Piercy joining us to talk about her new book, The Toxic War on Masculinity. How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes. I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, if any of you have heard of Nancy Piercy, we've mentioned her on this podcast many times. Her last book, I believe it was her last book, Love Thy Body, phenomenal book. Uh, I would recommend anyone to pick it up. And so I'm looking forward uh, to reading this newest one. I believe at the time of this recording, it has just released or will release soon, uh, but you can check the show notes for a link there and you can order that on Amazon. So again, tune in next week uh, to hear doc- Dr. Nancy Piercy. And then, as I said, we'll be taking um, a short break uh, due to our summer conference season. Uh, but just stay tuned. We'll uh, keep you posted for any updates and uh, we'll hopefully get some content to you this uh, summer. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Macaria Sanders of South Carolina. Uh, she was the winner of last week's giveaway. Uh, she won an entire set uh, of the New Testament scripture journals through Crossway. Um, just once again, I want to thank Crossway uh, for being so gracious to give away an ESV student study Bible, an ESV teen study Bible, and then this entire set of New Testament scripture journals. Uh, Crossway has been so gracious. They love giving away free resources. And as you know, uh, you can still visit the link in the show notes to get 40% off selected titles. Um, Crossway is just doing that uh, to serve the kingdom. And so we want to thank Crossway for partnering with us to celebrate our 400th episode and to allow all of these resources to be given for free or at a discounted price for this entire month. Um, I do want want to remind everyone, if you would uh, rate and review this podcast, that that helps us a great deal. And so many of you did that last week uh, to help with this giveaway or to be a part of this giveaway. And so I do want to thank all of you for doing that. Um, Right now, we're going to have this interview with Joe Jensen. Um, You'll hear some of this in the, the outset, but this is an excellent study that they've put together that's just fascinating a lot to cover and as you'll hear in just a bit we don't even scratch the surface because this is a three volume set Uh, but i hope this conversation is helpful to you joe welcome to the podcast hey thanks for having me john Absolutely. And to our listeners, Linda Oliver is joining us as well. So Linda, it's good to have you with us. Always good to be here, John. Uh, Joe, why don't you um, tell our listeners where you're from, just a little bit about yourself before we jump in. Yeah, first of all, it's great to be on and I'm just considered an honor to be a part of this conversation. So thanks for the invite. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a former youth pastor myself. I started off in youth ministry, did youth and college ministry for six years. I uh, loved it. It was a formative time in my life and in my faith. Um, a lot of fruit 
God blessed me with in my ministry, uh, ministering to young people. So I'm just so thankful for it. Um, and yeah, over the years, I, I was in youth ministry, kind of went into other areas of ministry after that, creative arts ministry, worship ministry, those types of areas of, of the church. Um, but I really kind of like, as I, as I went into different areas of church and ministry, I always kind of had a youth pastor's heart and a youth pastor's mentality. And, um, and I think that really um, helped me lead in some really cool, innovative ways over the years. Um, so yeah, like I said, I, I have a lot of church ministry experience. Uh, spent my first 20 years of adult life in the church in various capacities, which led me to Barna. You know, I always tell people I've had you know, uh, I've been blessed with a great um, kind of a variety of church ministry experiences and in smaller churches, medium-sized churches and larger churches. And that really kind of prepared me for the work that God has called me to do at Barna, which is to serve the church really specifically, um, taking the research that Barna has done over the, the past four decades, um, taking all the great kind of published work and data journalism and thought leadership that's produced from that uh, that great research. And then my teams, we get to create content and, and other kind of products and services really specifically geared to help churches take the insights and turn them into action in their context. Uh, because for years I was a pastor and I would read the, the, you know, these amazing Barna reports and these really beautiful Barna charts. And I was like really intrigued and, and interested in what they had to say. But my next question was always, well, how do I apply this? What does this mean for my life and my leadership journey as a pastor? And so I've taken that perspective once being a pastor in that seat into what I do at Barna. And it's an incredible privilege to be able to serve churches and, and pastors and youth leaders in that way. That's awesome. No, it's great to hear just your, your background in youth ministry, but then also just the, the heart of Barna to come alongside the church and to try to help uh, the church faithfully um, disciple others. And so, you know, to our listeners, what we're talking about, a new uh, study that Barna has put together entitled The Open Generation. And we were all kind of laughing beforehand of where do we begin on the, this massive <laughs> study? I mean, it's a three volume study and we'll kind of you know unpack some of those individually maybe hit some some highlights of some of that research and we'll you know point people back to your website and and all that you have there with videos and, and other things but maybe just begin kind of big picture just zooming out what what is the open generation uh, just give our listeners a little bit of a taste of what this this study is yeah, well, the open generation is a look at the current um, kind of faith and and cultural like forces at play that are impacting the faith formation of today's teens. And um, this is a global study. The open generation includes responses from almost twenty five thousand teens, which just kind of pause like that's yeah. <laughs> that's a huge amount, especially in the research world, to have. Almost 25,000 teens aged 13 through 17 across 26 countries around the world. Um, it was just an amazing kind of exhaustive, broad view uh, of, of how teens are doing around the world when it comes to three major areas, their views of Jesus, of the Bible, and their views of their role and their ability to make an impact on the world. So we took a look at these three kind of uh, big parts of the uh, faith journey of a teen. And we wanted to take a closer look 
And, and what was great was coming out of that, we got to see the, these beautiful dynamics, ones that we actually see in scripture that kind of played out in the results of the research, which is when you see teens engaged and connected with Jesus in meaningful ways, engaging with the Bible and making a difference um, in the world, um, that, that dynamic is really kind of like, I, I believe this gospel vision of what discipleship was meant to be. And we're seeing that in the lives of so many teens around the world. And it's, it's encouraged us and challenged us. You know, one thing we've been saying at Barnum on all of our partners, we partnered with World Vision, Biblica, uh, Alpha, and, and a lot of other organizations that are dedicated to equipping today's teens. And we all kind of said many times throughout this journey that I think we're learning more from them than they're learning from us. And there were so many moments where we would look at a stat or we would interview a teen and we would be led, we would be blown away at what they were saying to us, what they were speaking into us. And, you know, a lot of people have been asking, where did, where did the open generation come from? Where did that title come from? Uh, well, overwhelmingly, uh, this kind of major theme throughout all the research pointed us to the fact that this generation is open to new ways of thinking about Jesus, the Bible and their ability to make an impact, a gospel-centered impact on this world. And, um, and I think that their openness to thinking about faith in new ways, grounded in old scriptural principles, is inspiring us in other generations to pay attention and say, okay, if they're open, what do we need to do to be open so that we can not only engage them in their openness, which is an incredible opportunity we'll talk about probably in a little bit, but also be challenged, like, how can we be more open to this big, vast God who wants to do immeasurably more than we could even think or imagine. And like, how can we return to this kind of like childlike, teen-like imagination and curiosity for something more, something bigger? And how can we be open to that? Could you um, speak a little bit to uh, you know, to, man, 25,000 teens, 26 <laughs> countries, right? Like that's amazing. Um, what was the, um, like desire behind having a global study for this? You know, that's a great question. You know, there's probably, I could answer that in a number of different ways. So could our research team on the methodology, mm -hmm. uh, level of things, which I'm not a researcher, but, um, you know, our heart is to tell the story of the whole church, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately at Barna and a lot of the organizations we partner with. And to do that, we have to look uh, beyond our borders, right? And I know many of our listeners today are in the U.S. or in North America, but there is so much that God is doing around the world, and we have to be paying attention. We have to open our eyes to it, and research uh, is a great way to do that. So if we can do research in a really good way across the globe, it, it lets us, because I always kind of say every stat is a story waiting to be told, is a soul longing to be known, Okay, so if you take that principle into research, it's like there's stories of young people making an impact on this world. Uh, there's churches that movements in parts of the world that we're not seeing. And so if research can play just a small part in elevating those stories, telling those stories, ultimately, so first of all, we can celebrate what God's doing around the world, um, that we can have a a bigger perspective of God's mission, that it's not just a mission for people here 
or people in our close proximity, but for, for all people, um, no matter where they're at uh, around the world. And then, you know, it also, there's a learning opportunity. There are some things going on in the global South. There seem some things going on in, in all, all these different parts of the world that if, if we can open our eyes and tell that story, I think we, you know, as a church in America can learn from what's going on in these other pockets of the world. And when it comes to teens, I think it's really important. I think I've been telling people, you know, the pandemic, as terrible as it was, as disruptive as it was, it gave us one opportunity. And that is for the first time in human history, we have had, we have truly had a collective global shared experience in a way that like no, like in a way that has not been seen in all of human history. I mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. You can have a 16 year old in Tokyo, you know, maybe run into a 15 year old who might be, you know, uh, maybe visiting with his family from, you know, Brazil and, you know, the, assuming they can maybe speak a common language, they would have the ability to share a common experience for the first time. And so we want to kind of to take that idea into our research and say like, hey, with, with where we're at in, in, in this moment in history, we have the opportunity to bring people together under shared experiences, shared stories, and then we can learn from each other as we do. That's so good. Um, that's such a good thought about just the, the shared experience. But then also, as you're saying, every stat represents an individual story and getting us to to see just the humanity behind this this research is is excellent. And there, there's so much. I feel like we're barely going to dip into the the three volumes. But as you know, you talk about 26 countries. I know um, there's talk about just the contextualization that had to occur for all of this research, all of this question, you know, you ask a teen in one part of the world, well, what's Jesus like? Then you ask in another part of the world, well, you've got to kind of think through that contextualization. Can you just kind of unpack that a little bit? Just explain how, how Barna went about contextualizing that? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, it's, it, it, it was very difficult. It was, uh, <laughs> a, it was a time intensive and very grueling project and study in, in the best sense of, of those words, right? Sure. Um, it was a privilege to be able to steward that process. Um, and I would just say there's no perfect research study. There's no perfect survey or questionnaire. You know, you have to do your best uh, scientifically with certain uh, best practices and, and, and really sound research methodology that goes into play. And Barna is really good at it, but we're not perfect at it. Um, However, we do our best. And I think one of the things we we set out to do with this study was to partner with other organizations around the world that are um, in those contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, our work with World Vision and Biblica Alpha, all those three organizations have huge global footprints. They're, they're in dozens of countries around the world. And they have field offices. They are working with churches and teenagers directly through a lot of their ministries which is why the you know, Barna would never be able to dream of doing a project like this on our own. And we shouldn't. Uh, partnerships are key in the work that we do at Barna because we, um, we're we very good at what we do, but there are some things we recognize that we we can't do on our own. And so we, with that approach, we teamed up with 
with these leaders from all over the world. We had advisory boards and committees, uh, lots of like feedback loops. Uh, we, we sent surveys out to all these different field offices in all these different countries. We got feedback continually looped into the process. And again, you know, you could probably go back and say, yeah, maybe this question isn't contextualized properly for this, but we did all the round, we did as much as we could. And uh, we learned a lot along the way, by the way, you know, for, mm -hmm. for future global projects. But, but I think what you'll see is at least, the, you know, the representation of a pretty rigorous process. Um, again, that's grounded on partnership and really kind of like this idea that we're better together. Um, because all those organizations kind of teamed up and brought the best of what they what they have to offer when it comes to their reach and their influence around the world. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, and just kind of following up real quick too, and then Linda, I'd, I'd love for you to jump in. Um, how long did this take? I mean, talking about how rigorous everything, I mean, just, yeah, how long did this study take to to put together? Yeah, I mean, from, man, well, you're going to have to, don't quote me on this exactly because I'd have to go back and verify it, but it was a, you know, it was well over a two-year process from the kind of the beginning of the conceptualization to, you know, the initial kind of partnership gatherings and in the survey design and fielding and, and cleaning and analysis and reporting and all that stuff. It was well over two years, um, but it was a post-pandemic uh, view. So a lot of people ask that, did you start this before? Did you feel the research before? And the answer is no, we did feel this after, which offers us, I think, a more fresh, relevant understanding and perspective of where teens are at. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, so there's so many specifics we could get into. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if this is a way to approach one thing. Um, can you tell me what one of the most maybe surprising or exciting things that you found through the study was? Well, I would say overall, and I'll probably just start with a general summary, mm -hmm. kind of piggybacking off of what I said about the inspiration for the title. Yeah. And I think something I was excited about yet a little surprised about was just like how open this generation is. And uh, now the thing is they're open to everything. Like, right. And we can kind of talk, that's a whole nother episode just about all the things that they're open to, um, that maybe be, that are pulling them away from Jesus in the Bible and, and making an impact in this world. But there's a lot of things that they're open to when it comes to spirituality, the Christian faith to the central parts and aspects of the Christian faith being, you know, the person and character of Jesus and, and kind of the authority of scripture. Um, so they're, they're much more open to those things. Now, again, what we see in the research too, is this kind of push and pull this tension that teens, you know, living in this world, being digital natives and everything that that entails, like they are pulled in a lot of different directions. There's a lot of ideologies. There's a lot of beliefs that are kind of pulling them away from Jesus, but there's still this curiosity and this openness to Jesus. So there's, you know, for example, about half of all teens across all faith groups describe Jesus as loving, so 49%, and they believe he offers hope to and cares about people, uh, almost, uh, you know, almost a 50% as well, 46 and 43, respectively. You know, um, there, you know, we have, teen, we, we see in the research that nearly half of teens overall, about 47%, believe Jesus was crucified. Uh, while one third of all teens say Jesus rose again, 
Now, all teens, now we're not talking about just Christians, but all teens, like they're open to, to Jesus in ways that I would kind of surprise me, to be honest. And I had to kind of repent throughout this. And, you know, we all kind of have to repent sometimes and say like, wow, um, maybe we, our belief in this generation has been eroded over time and we need to renew a hope and a belief in this generation that they have the capacity and the openness much more than I think we've realized uh, to Jesus, to the gospel and to uh, the authority and leadership of scripture in their life. That's a good word. And and just thinking of, uh, yeah, how we need to repent of our cynicism at times towards this, um, the next generation. And maybe that kind of leads into some of the the findings here. Um, that you said, kind of generally speaking, students saw and had a positive view of Jesus, um, but not the best view of Christians. <laughs> and um, again, maybe our cynicism is, is part of the reason for that. But maybe just kind of unpack that a little bit as we think of this open generation and just their thoughts towards Christians. Yeah, I mean, and that's uh, that's really at the heart of it, too, is like what's you know, as we look at some of these statistics, first of all, I just want to say, being a former pastor myself, it's really easy to beat ourselves up. And, you know, I would say these stats are meant to kind of wake us up, but not to beat us up. And there's a big difference, right? And um, they're, they're meant to raise awareness, maybe reveal blind spots that maybe we haven't seen in our leadership and our church philosophy and programs. But I would just say, like, none of what we do at Barna is meant to kind of beat up on pastors. Um, just from the simple fact of self-preservation for myself, I wouldn't do that, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, beyond that, it's um, like, these are meant to kind of open our eyes and illuminate some things. And so what we see in the research is like, if you were kind of like to see a chart from left to right uh, there, you know, as far as like the positive views that, that teens have, you know, their, their view of Jesus is higher Right. Um, but then as you go from left to right and you kind of ask them about like, what do you, what do you think about uh, Christianity? It, it gets lower. What do you think about uh, the church? It gets lower. And then on the, on the far right of the list are pastors and church leaders. Hmm. And those score, you know, uh, about 25, almost 25 points less than their view of Jesus. So there is some trust issues that we have to, to like really consider and, figure out how we can repair those, those trust issues, because as much as teens are open to Jesus, um, there are obstacles in place for them reaching Jesus. And a lot of times those obstacles are not just self-induced, like we assume they are. They're not just technology-induced, like we think they are. Sometimes they're induced by some of the systems and programs and some of the things we put in place in organized religion, um, sometimes the walls that we put uh, or the, some of the walls that are in place are actually ones that we built. Um, so we have to look at that um, again. And just like I would encourage pastors, youth leaders to say, you know, what are, what are some walls that maybe we've intentionally or unintentionally put up that are keeping teens from discovering in believing in and following the real Jesus. Um, okay. That was making me think of, I remember in all of the fact sheets, um, I think the last subheading had to do with community. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like what, what roles did you see community playing in, um, in teens view of, um, Jesus and the Bible and all this? Yeah. Well, overall community, of course, we know like being in ministry community has a big impact, but we cannot underestimate for this generation, for this group of teens in this moment, how important this is. Right. And I know anecdotally, we can all share examples of, mm-hmm. of how, like why this is so important, how it's manifested in the life of a teen. But, you know, one thing I'd probably point to is just the relationship between Bible engagement and community especially um, when it comes to mentoring relationships and discipleship relationships, either by a parent or a guardian or a pastor or a minister. So when we, we, we talk about Bible engaged teens, like we have, we have these uh, kind of a framework for Bible and for Bible belief and Bible engagement, you know, um, Bible engaged are the teens that are reading the Bible on a consistent basis. And they will say like, this is, you know, the Bible has authority in my life. Uh, Bible open, they're like open to the idea of the Bible, but they haven't really made that commitment to make the Bible more of a central piece of their life. Um, but Bible engaged teens, which is our highest kind of metric for, um, you know, a teen believing in and following the truth of scripture, many Bible engaged teens um, have had a parent or guardian at 56% or a pastor, priest, or minister at 54% teach them how to read and study the Bible. So there's this correlation between a teen who is Bible engaged and a meaningful mentoring relationship that has guided them towards that, if that makes sense. And so we see all throughout, you know, we also just have seen, you know, when it comes to how they relate to Jesus, um, it's, it's much more of a chance there's much more of a likelihood that a teen is going to discover Jesus with someone versus on their own. And so, um, yeah, community is a huge part of this. And I would say, you know, one encouragement is like, I I don't think that the way we have tried to manufacture community is necessarily going to work in the future. Now, I'm not saying small group ministry within, within a teen ministry, student ministry environments, you know, should go away. I'm just saying like we should rethink and really pay attention to how young people are gathering together. So I have an 18 year old who, um, you know, they just decided, Hey, they want to study the Bible together. Okay. She asked me for a few tips on how to, how to kind of lead that, you know, that group. And, but they just grabbed a U version. They, they settled on a reading plan and they just gathered once a week and they started reading the Bible together. And, um, but that came out of weeks of them meeting together as friends. So it's interesting, like they didn't say, hey, let's study the Bible together and then meet. They actually were just meeting. And then they decided along the way to study the Bible together. And it's just interesting, like what if we try to gather teens within community, both in mentoring relationships, but also just uh, relationships with one another. And maybe the primary agenda is just to build trust and build relationships without the agenda of kind of having to go through a Bible study together. Now, I'm not saying that that kind of prescribed way of Bible study is is wrong or ineffective. I'm just saying like we have to branch out as church leaders, think about different ways of convening and gathering teens and actually be okay if they gather outside of our ministries. Like what can we do to facilitate Mm -hmm. that? 
Now, again, like some people say like, no, there needs to be a central figure, a teaching figure, a leader, an adult leader in those environments. But the more we try to manufacture those environments, I think the more that young people are going to reject them now in general. And and so again, that was kind of a long way of answering that question, um, Linda, but I think it's a great question and, and really kind of one of the essential ones we should be asking today. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's some really good, helpful insights there. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing all that. Cause yeah, one of the questions on my mind is I like look at the study is like, okay, so what, what do I do with all this information? Right. And you're starting to get into that. Um, so yeah. that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, were you about to say something? Please jump in. No, go go ahead. I, okay. I I mean I I have a several things I could talk about here, but um yeah, go ahead, John. Okay. Um, well, something interesting too. Um, well, one, it's just fascinating to consider how we're meeting with students. Um, and like you said, not just kind of throwing everything out, rethinking everything, but kind of the organic nature of how some of that community can mm-hmm. happen is vitally important. It just shows, I mean, the intimacy is such an important thing of, you know, not just, I mean, having that kind of small, either one-to-one time or, or group time is just vitally important to allow students to kind of interact and to speak up in this process. Um, just some things that that jumped out to me that were surprising is, uh, one, that students express a, a great deal of doubt towards um, social media and YouTube, um, that they did not see those as as valid sources. That's an encouraging statistic. Another, too, is that they preferred a paper Bible um, as opposed to an electronic version of the Bible. Those were just kind of some surprising things that, that jumped out to me. Um, I know, too, we don't have a ton of time left, and we haven't even gotten into volume three, talking about teens and making an impact. Um, you can react to some of what I just said, or if you want to kind of step into impact a little bit and talk about just kind of some of the highlights there and, and thoughts with that volume as well. Yeah, well, I'll probably just incorporate a little bit of both responding to what you just said, and which I think is a great segue into some of the major themes in volume three. Uh, which is, you know, I think we're, we're seeing that teens being digital natives, um, you know, just being completely immersed in technology. Um, this is where we're seeing like, yeah, there's, there's a lot we can do to kind of like raise awareness for them. But I think the awareness is really already there. And I think it's because God has given within us all, like young and old, an awareness of his presence in our lives, the fact that we are his temples. And when those temples are being infringed upon and um, when there's like foreign gods within these temples, like there's a God given awareness, that maybe something's not quite right. Right. Sometimes that's uh, more deeply embedded and hidden and harder to kind of bring about, but I'm seeing in, in the lives of teens today and even through our research, like some of the, the stats you you brought up, John, that teens, I think, are waking up to this and, and they're not having to be told by an adult that something's maybe wrong or something's kind of missing. And I think that's what we're seeing through some of those stats. They're wanting something tangible. They're wanting an embodied expression of faith and life and relationship in the midst of a very cold digital world. And they're realizing you know, something that came out of our previous stu- global study on young people, which is called the connected generation, was that 
uh, overwhelmingly, like one of the big themes that we kind of summarized was that, you know, young people are hyper-connected, but alone, mm-hmm. right? So there, there, there's the kind of the idea, the kind of the fallacy of connection in the digital world, but they expressed overwhelmingly in the research that they felt alone. And I think we're starting to, we're kind of seeing this next stage of expression in the research with this particular age group, which is they're realizing that social media technology, like they're tethered to it. They feel maybe even somewhat addicted to it, but they're recognizing also like there's this internal dichotomy. There's this tension that they're managed, that it, it doesn't feel right, that this is not what they were meant for, that they were meant for something more, something tangible, something that they could touch and feel. Um, I think given some of these trends with ASMR and, and textures and things like that, like they're really into being able to feel something and sense something beyond the cold two-dimensional realities of, of technology. And that kind of leads, I think, to maybe a point I would bring out when it comes to the third volume, which we kind of talked about teens and impact. Um, you know, the majority of teens believe that their generation can make a positive impact. So 87% of teens, when we asked them if they believe that their generation can make a positive impact, they said yes. And um, and when we kind of followed up with like, how motivated are they to do something about, you know, when they see something that's unfair or undeserved treatment of, of people in society, eight out of 10 teens said that they were motivated to do something about it. And I think this is, again, another kind of expression of the truths that we were just talking about, that they want something more. They don't want to be just, they don't want to be a commodity. They don't want to be just an audience that all of these uh, mass marketing agencies and products uh, just look at them as, you know, an audience to sell to. They want to contribute to culture, to society. And I think there's a lot of Christ-centered teens that are wanting to contribute to the kingdom. They're seeing this mission that's bigger than themselves, that's beyond themselves, and they want to be a part of it. And um, so we're really paying attention to, like, what can we do as, as adults to not just go through the lip service to say that there's potential in teens, but to actually empower them and put them in places of leadership and influence, and then letting them lead, letting them take action. You know, that example I talked about with my daughter's group, like I could have done a couple different things, right? I could have kind of swooped in and tried to take leadership because, hey, there's a bunch of 17, 18, 19 year olds trying to figure out this whole discipleship thing. They obviously need help, right? Or I could say, hey, they're following Jesus and they may not do it in the prescribed way I would do it. And maybe that's not just okay, but maybe that's the better way. And maybe my guidance is to just maybe pull aside one or two, develop them as leaders, you know, equip them, set them up to succeed, but empower them to actually lead that group. And I think those are some of the kind of leadership trans- mentality transitions that we need to make as a church. It doesn't mean we abandon them and let them kind of figure it out on their own, it, but it means that maybe we put them into positions where we truly empower them to take action, to make their faith real, to rally their fellow young people around a common cause and a kingdom mission. And then we guide them and shepherd them along the way instead of just directing them and managing them. 
Joe, I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about, um, you know, you've gotten into so much of this already. Like, what do we do with this information? I think maybe specifically on the volume about um, teens view of the Bible. Like, are there implications you're seeing about how we should maybe teach, talk about the Bible with teens? Yeah, you know, I would say, first of all, um, there, I, you know, when we look at all the content that's available today for teens, right? I'm not saying that creating relevant content to meet the needs of teens today is a bad thing. But I would just say, I would caution us into just like assuming that another program, another piece of content is going to be the thing that they want and need. What they need is true connection. And they need to be guided and shepherded um, into this whole life discipleship journey. Okay, now with with technology is the ability to silo and compartmentalize a life like no other, right? Mm. I mean, us humans have always tried to find ways to compartmentalize our life. But in this day and age with technology, uh, we're able, like a young person's able to compartmentalize their life in so many really crazy and very scary ways that they can hide big parts of their life in these different compartments. And so we have to understand that that's the reality and that's what they're being pulled into. So the antidote to that, what they need is not a church and discipleship and Christian experience that reflects that same compartmentalization. What they need is an integrated whole life discipleship. But here's the thing. They can't, we can't just like wrap that up in a five week series and expect them to get it. They need to see it. They need to see it modeled. They need to have shepherds in their lives where they can look to, to these shepherds, to these men and women and say, okay, I, I'm actually able to visualize what you're talking about. You're not just saying I need to do this. You're showing me how to do it. And, and I've been saying this, like, so we have to kind of look at our programs. We have to look at our church ministry philosophies, and we have to like really do an inventory. I always kind of encourage leaders, do an audit and go through it. And by, by the way, invite your young people into these inventories and these audits. Don't just try to like make decisions and, and identify viewpoints that you think they're, they're, they're thinking, like bring them in and, and invite them and then listen to them. But we need to kind of like really get honest with how we're doing ministry and say, are we just content producing machines? Are we just program managers? Are we disciple makers? And something I've been saying for a while now is that we have to like transition from a drop-off discipleship model to a walk-along discipleship model, where for so many years we've said like, hey, let's build a program and hey, just drop your kid off, you know, leave, leave him or her here for an hour or two and then pick them up. And then we expect in an hour or two a week that they're going to be formed into these holistic, fully, fully devoted followers of Jesus. It's just not going to happen. Um, it just, yeah, it's, it's, that's not how it was intended to happen, I believe. So we need whole life discipleship, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, like we need to be devoted to that model where we walk along these teens, we model, we show them the way of Jesus. We don't just tell them the way of Jesus. And I think um, to answer your question, sermons are never, are not going away. Content's not going away, but they should, all of those things should be put in their proper context, that they're a means to this greater end of whole life discipleship. 
Yeah, um, we should have scheduled you for three podcasts, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> Joe, this is so good. Um, it just, yeah, your heart, I appreciate what you're saying. I appreciate just how yeah, you're helping us just challenge what it is, what we're doing. And that's always a helpful practice to step back and to evaluate programs, practices, things that we're doing in ministry to think of who, who this generation is that we're speaking to and how can we best love them and point them to Jesus. Um I know we're needing to wrap this up, uh, but Joe, I would love for you just to tell our listeners where they can find out more information about this study, how they can purchase this study. Um, please just uh, yeah, point our listeners there. Yeah. If you want to just kind of take a look, you maybe you just want to get one journal and just read it. Uh, you can go to barna.com and you can just purchase individual journals. By the way, we have country journals for many of the countries we did research in. So if you're listening in the U.S., we actually have a deep dive into the U.S. results. So it's really cool to be able to look at the global picture and then look at the picture in your kind of specific context. Um, but here's what I would do. There's so much that we've done on the next gen, even outside of uh, and beyond the, the open generation. For one low monthly subscription rate, you can go to barnaaccess.com and just subscribe. And then you get access to every report that Barna's ever produced ever. Like wow. and everything on next gen, everything on church leadership and we have a, a free assessment so you can deploy to your teens, to your parents. There's guides, like there's field guides to kind of help you know what to do with what you're seeing. So I, I just, I would just like push people to that, to that resource. And it, you, it's, you can find everything that you can ever imagine there. Plus, I just think when you like add it all up, you're saving a lot of money. So I would, I would just encourage you to go to barnaaccess.com. That's great. Uh, well, Joe, uh, thank you so much for your work in this. Thank you for your labors to, to help the church uh, faithfully disciple the next generation. Thank you for taking the time today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without